Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Ginger London Ministry Show. I am Minister Ginger London, and um, we are continuing on with our uh, Celebrating Women uh, series where we are interviewing uh, women entrepreneurs as well as uh, women authors. We're also um, interviewing women who have uh, powerful testimonies about how God has brought them through maybe some trying times in their life or some things that they've overcome or some major accomplishments they have uh, accomplished um, in their life. And on today, we have a special show. We're interviewing a uh, female entrepreneur as well as a female author. Um, her name is Mary Reed. Uh, and I hope, I'm pronouncing, hope I'm pronouncing the um, hair salon uh, name correctly is Chevaux. I believe is a dual. She's the owner of Chevaux, which is a dual hair salon and barbershop located in Bloomington, Maryland, uh, Minnesota. I'm sorry. Hope I got that right. It rents chairs to exceptionally skilled stylists and barbers with a broad set of skills. Um, and the interesting thing about um, reading about her was that uh, she said in her bio that they're always teaching, growing, and doing something positive. And I know in the area that I live in, in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, we see more barbers and uh, stylists now becoming more actively involved in the community and doing different things in the community, uh, not only to empower other stylists, but also to empower uh, and impact the lives of those that live um, in the community. And so she's also um, the author of A World of Dreadlocks, and uh, that sounds very interesting, a book called that. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about herself and what she does um, with the State Board of Cosmetology in her area. She has a sanitation course for for, for uh, professional hair braiders. I think that's very interesting. And so we posted today on uh, this morning, rather, on Facebook, that if you are uh, a stylist, a barber, or someone in the cosmetology industry, that they really need to listen to this show because I think she's doing some unique and very creative things that someone outside of her area can actually pick up on and maybe come up with some ideas of their own, of their own that they can do in the city and state that they live in. So welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you, Ginger, and thank you for having me. You're so kind, and, and I uh, appreciate that, uh, you know, I'm here and can share information, but I really just very simple. I just have many layers. I, I think I was uh, born a teacher, and I discovered the entrepreneur level of things along the way. And somewhere in there I developed uh I decided that there's got to be a way that you can do well and do good. And so um, a term I, I ran across a thousand years ago was social entrepreneur. So I, I kind of think that that's what I am. Um, it allows me to keep learning and growing and doing, like you mentioned. That's kind of my theme of life. Uh, I can I can take one thing, learn it, uh, teach it to someone else, share it in any kind of way to just make the world a better place. So. Um, I just thank you for giving me an opportunity to share a little bit. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So um, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and, and share your journey or your testimony with us um, so we can get, you know, I can read the bio, but it sounds so much better when it comes from the person who's actually <laughs> <laughs> 
gone through it a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Well, I was uh, born in Chicago, Illinois, and our family Ooh. moved early uh, in in my years to Michigan. And uh, I was really comfortable, you know, grew up, had a regular life, good mom, good dad, all of those things. Uh, but I was, and I was very comfortable in a salary job with the Upjohn Institute. And I was in my 30s, that type of thing. But somehow in there I decided I knew I wanted to start my own business. And my stylist at, the, at, at that point in time in life, I was wearing a relaxer, which is a chemical service, and it worked for me. But um, my stylist asked me about partnership. The place he was working was going to go up for sale and, you know, this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was interested in the partnership and, and uh, was going in that direction. And in the 11th hour, he withdrew his offer because he didn't have enough money. Anyway, long, long story short, that's where I knew it, was, it must have been a Jesus thing because I didn't pick up a comb before that. <laughs> you know, I just went <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the salon. But... Um, Long story short, one thing I learned early is that owners actually don't need licenses right. uh, to have a salon. So if you have a passion and you see something that you want in the industry, that whatever it is, um, find out what the rules and laws are. It might be easier than you think. Um, so he stayed on as my manager. I was the owner and just developed that whole thing. And even then, uh, there was this bend for, in my personal life, I, I like to travel. And so my uh, my skill set with hair, of course, was nil. So my excuse to travel was to go around the country learning braid techniques. Right? I, I was fascinated by them. I had a lady from Sierra Leone in my first salon in Michigan, and actually that plate that uh, salon was called Chevaux too, and it just means hair in French. And anyway, so. I went around the country learning all these techniques. And long story short, in 1994, when I moved to Minnesota. By that time, I had obtained the uh, natural hair care license, and that was a specialty license. It was from New York, and a woman named Diane Bailey had spent seven years of her life just trying to get something in place for hair braiders so that they could be recognized or uh, recognized as professionals. It's not that their work wasn't great and amazing and, you know, this type of thing, but there was just um, kind of a stigma attached that wasn't positive and you know kind of street corner thing and and it was just unfortunate but anyway she she held that banner and she got it done and her one concession was that people from other states would um, be allowed to if they could prove you know uh, their work usually through taxes and that type of thing if they could prove their work they could get a license so um, that was my first license And when I moved here to Minnesota in 94, there was no such thing. And uh, that was kind of interesting for me. So it it turned from just a a hobby and an interest to I wonder if I could make this a profession. And I don't know uh, who in the area might be listening, but there was a wonderful man. I call him Curtis. uh, His name is Curtis Struthers, but he was the Zen master. He taught many people, held them under his wing, and got them rolling in their careers. And so um, I showed him a little bit of my work, and it just so happened, again, God thing, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. his uh, person who he had on board uh, helping with, you know, uh, extensions and weaving and braiding and that type of thing, she had uh, struck out on her own. She uh, was one to uh, do princess hair and, you know, some local celebrities, that type of thing. Uh, so I just walked in that week, and boom, I had a clientele. So, you know, that's where my start was really in in Minnesota. Um, I worked with him for a long time, and I, I don't know, at some point I realized I couldn't finish my own styles. I was braiding and weaving, and that, that was lovely, but I had to go to the stylist to finish up the style as far as coloring or giving it a decent cut, you know, this type of thing. And so I decided to upgrade my skills, and I went to cosmetology school so I could really, so I could complete my own styles. And that was kind of my big, big start in Minnesota. I did things with art uh, related to hair braiding, and I was the first uh, artisan that was recognized by the State Arts Board as a folk artisan. And so... With that, I got to travel, you know, different parts of Minnesota uh, demonstrating or sharing history and this type of thing. And I have built an extremely, extremely diverse clientele, you know, with that. And and that's nice, but 
when there's only you, it's kind of not enough at some point. And so I had to develop some stylists who could also, you know, aside from textures and techniques work with hair, they, they, there are different cultures and communities out there. There's a deaf and hearing group that we service, and there's, uh, and there's you know, a special community just related to that. There's Hispanics and uh, East African and West African, just a real rich combination of people. So it definitely takes a very special stylist uh, to work with those cultures and communities. And, you know, we learn, you know, with each other. Um, for example, if you come in here, you never know what kind of music you might hear. <laughs> Um, and it, it's just really rich. Everybody learns from anybody. Uh, the clients, you know, they give to us as much as we give to them. So it's a really unique environment, and I'm I'm hoping to um, just develop that further because I think more salon should be kind of like ours. It's a, a salon and barber shop, so very nice. And I do apologize, Ginger, I cannot hear a thing. So I may have lost the transmission. Hold on. There's some type of technical glitch here. Hold on a second. Okay. Can you, you hear now? me now? I can hear you now. Okay, wonderful. I don't know what happened there. All right. So um, that was a, I mean, that is so interesting. And so I would tell, you know, just from your testimony, uh, anybody, as you said early in the testimony, you know, if somebody's listening, if a, a woman is listening, since we're celebrating women, you know, if you have a desire to be a salon owner, first thing she said was, you know, check it out. It may be easier than I know here in Louisiana, uh, you don't have to be licensed unless something has changed. You don't have to be licensed to actually um, put up a shingle. Uh, right, to put up a shingle. All you do is put it up, get you some booths or whatever they, you need, and uh, rent them out, and let's go. And I think I know a couple that does that, and they're not um, stylists as far as I know, but they actually own a salon, and they have uh, licensed uh, cosmetologists, hairstylists working in um, their salon. You know, and sometimes, you know, um, as we go through our journey and we're pursuing a uh, purpose or our destiny, we need to really keep our eyes open. I heard you say um, something in in your um, uh, testimony that, you know, the guy was going to, he pulled out because he didn't have the money, and wow, that was an open door for you. You know, sometimes it doesn't always happen the way we uh, think, you know, or we plan for it to happen. Uh, and so we have to but be it alert. Turns out better. <laughs> it turns out better because mm -hmm. sometimes people will become discouraged Okay. Oh, man, he pulled out. You know, I knew it. He was going to pull out, you know, and then they start saying negative things, and they don't see uh, into the spirit realm of things and say, okay, wait a minute, he pulled out, but it's, do I really have to pull out? Right, and you have to look at challenges as an opportunity, whether it's an opportunity to learn or it's an opportunity to grow or it's an opportunity. So just turn your challenges into an opportunity. Uh uh, the Bible is filled with examples of that, and and um, everyone that you get is a blessing. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, uh, where did the name of your? Uh, I know you said it's a it's in French, but how did you come up with that uh, salon name? Well, my original name that I wanted was just hair is, and hair is this, hair is that. You know, all the different options that hair could be. But when I went for licensure. Uh, in our in the Department of Commerce in Minnesota, in Michigan, excuse me, they already had a hair is, and so it's like, well, I still could say hair, but I could say it in another language. And uh, and a thousand years ago, I was very fluent in French, and um, I don't know, it just came to me, and, and I, I it came to me, but God had a plan, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so uh, it just made sense, and that was the name of my first salon in Michigan. And uh, when I moved to Minnesota, I actually had another spot, and I named it Hair Is. And uh, since that initial uh, salon was started, I sold it and mentored the person who took over 
and it is here as too still existing since uh, under her leadership since 1999. So she's doing well, and I have my hair is, and now full circle, I can go back to Chavot. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it's just um, kind of semantics, but full circle. Yeah. And I'm just really tied to hair. And whatever way I can say hair, I'm happy. Wonderful. So when you when you select the stylists and the barbers who are in a booth from you, do you look for something in particular or, you know, do you just uh, rent the booths out? How do you determine who you rent your uh It was a out? process. So I'll give you the the happy part, which is now I get it. Absolutely, you look at experience first, but very close behind experience, you need certain personalities. We have uh, uh, Caucasian people. We have um, uh, a lady who is uh, biracial but uh, Hispanic. We have an older fellow. Literally, I have a a, a, a septuagenarian, a 70-year-old stylist, African-American man, uh, learned with Aveda, uh, very uh, skilled all over the the map and was an instructor, but now he's returned to Minnesota from California and he's ready to do hair. And he's just as fresh and spry as you could imagine. So I look at the culture of their, you know, their background mm-hmm. and I look at their skills and I look at how they work and interact with people. Because some people have wonderful skills, but they have you know, technical skills, but they have the personality of, you know, a tin white light bulb or something. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just unfortunate. And we want people who can embrace other cultures, not ignore them or anything. Embrace, learn from it, each other, talk to each other, and be respectful, you know. And so I, I look for, you know, certain things like that that make you a more of a, a whole person mm-hmm. and a complete offering, you know, as far as stylists go. Right. You know, years ago, back in the mid uh, to late 80s, I went to cosmetology school. And during that time in the 90s, you know, every culture pretty much stayed to themselves, you know. They still uh, do. They still do. Okay. So well, it's, it's kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 go ahead. and the culture could be, you know, it could be a money culture. It could mm-hmm. be a... Uh, youth culture, it could be uh, race culture, it, you know, all these cultures and communities, they they feel comfortable with each other and they dare not in the industry, you know, they're not really pushed to, to, to go beyond those basics. True, everybody wants everyone's dollars, but they're not willing to, <laughs> to learn everything. To yeah. learn. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of interesting. So they've segregated, the the patrons have segregated themselves quite often. Or they'll, you know, come down to a certain level so they can have a certain, they can have the service that they want, but they don't have expectations. I think at every level, licensed, unlicensed, kitchen, wherever, you, you know, your service provider uh, should be really careful of you. And when you're, if you go to the next level where you're licensed mm-hmm. to touch somebody's person, then you really need to be responsible. And there's some professional standards that I, if they don't have them when they get here, they have them by the time they leave, you know. And and that's just how I think it should be, and it, and it really works for us. And I think the patrons benefit greatly. Absolutely. I can remember uh, when I got one of my first um in the late 80s, one of my first jobs, I think it was in one of them was um, at one of those super cuts, you know. Mm-hmm. It just so happened the school that I went to, though, in New Orleans, I don't even know if it still exists, it's called, it was called the Academy of Scientific Care, um, and they actually, and I chose them because they were full circle, you know, they taught on taught you about every uh, type of hair, Caucasian hair, black hair, everybody's hair, and they included in their curriculum the uh, esthetician. So if you did the full nine months, you got everything. Um, and and I, we, I think that's important. Oh, absolutely. Important. Beyond the technique, I mean, we really do need to go beyond pretty. And uh, just even today, there was a fellow, in, a dentist in Colorado, licensed to touch people, right? Mm-hmm. And he is spreading disease like mad. Ooh. And now people are upset and want to sue. Well, that's why we have professional standards. So then somebody can come and say, okay, sister, okay, salon, okay, barber, this is not quite the standard, and we can tweak that. 
you know, and, and people should embrace it instead of being offended that somebody's coming in to make sure that their families are safe, to make sure that their patrons are safe, you know, this type of stuff. Um, but that's another bent. Oh, we'll talk about that yeah. later. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, you know, how long did it take you to uh, build um, uh, your business to where it is now, like in years or months? How long did it take you? I would say really about five years. Okay. I've been doing hair, and, and, and I say that only because there are different incarnations of my business. And right now we are in transition mode. And this part of the transition where I started paying attention specifically to certain things and ter- certain types of individuals and whatnot, it, it was planted in my head, I would say, five years ago, where I actually started working on it to the point where I'm picking these people by design and, and that type of thing the last two years. Oh, okay. Okay. And so So it's a process. Um, yeah. <laughs> um tell us I look I looked on your website and I see you have what you call power step classes. So tell us about the power step classes. Oh yay, I love power step. Power <laughs> step is a really comprehensive professional core a braid uh course for professional braiders. And everything I do is comprehensive. My book is comprehensive, uh, everything, because I want you to get the full spectrum of all that I can give you. And then from there, you grow. But the Power Step classes were the first set of classes that were approved by the Minnesota State Cosmetology Board for hair braiders who wanted to go to that next level. And it teaches professional standards, sanitation, uh, tweak the techniques, because even though you are doing whatever you do, there might be a way you can do it faster, uh, more, you know, there might be some upgrades to information, that type of stuff, and I know enough that I can share. So we tweak techniques, we talk about expansion and prosperity, and prosperity means more than money, and we learn Mm -hmm. about that in the class. But just a real comprehensive course to help braiders go to the next level. This is the power step, and I'm sure that they'll go beyond uh, what even I teach them, and I encourage them to do that. So then when they're ready, they can get back and share. They can be little me's. <laughs> so what is what has been the success of your classes or, you know, what has been the response? Can any Is it just for the stylists in, in your salon or any stylists oh, no. in the Okay, so what has been the success and the responses? Any, thank you. Uh, it's been pretty positive. However, mm-hmm. there are there are people like I said who are very resistant to uh, any type of regulation, any type of uh, uh, hand holding, or I don't know any any type of regulation. I'll put it that way. And um, for those people, I understand they're just not there yet. But as far as success, I probably even though there are many other service providers that are listed on the cosmetology board website. I have been there. I'm going to be there. Uh, there's, um, I think I probably have taught more braiders in Minnesota the Power Step program than any other uh, provider. I mean, they don't have Power Step, but they have other similar programs, and um, they just don't have the expertise that I have. I've been, I, I care, uh, you know, that type of stuff. So I have a background, a skill set, and I really. Uh, can and do help. That's my goal. So I'm I'm just okay. unique just because I'm me. Uh, okay. But there is opportunity for anyone who is interested in um, some special things that braiders do to take the course. It is open to anyone in the state, um, and I'm just here for those who need me. I guess that's the best way to say it. <laughs> okay, and if someone... Um uh, that's not in your state, um, can they uh, take that class, or is it something where they have to be present? They could take the class. Actually, I uh, just recently, through Mr. Jesus, um, decided to make it available as a home study, and soon, we're working on this right now, soon mm-hmm. it will be online so you can take it. The advantage of, of taking it in the state is actually you will be a registered braider, Okay. You know, once the course is complete, so you have a license that you can put up and you can tell your, you know, show your clients, mm-hmm. I really care, and and that's the good end. There's one little strange thing, and uh, we learned about it in the course at at one point in way back in 1999 before this 
uh, rule or this registration opportunity was available to braiders, there was a braid law in place, but cosmetology did not appreciate it, and they basically overturned the law in 10 days. And I just know that this is a window of opportunity for braiders uh, to get to a certain standard and then grow from there. Otherwise, what was happening before and what cosmetology would like to happen, again, is that anyone who touches the hair for pay is going needs to go to cosmetology school. Mm. And it's like people spent many dollars, many hours, uh, you know, to make sure that they didn't have to do that. So right now, I think even more cosmetologists or potential cosmetologists are taking the braid class because they can, uh, once they're registered, they can work legally anywhere they want to work, and they can supplement their income while they're going to cosmetology school, which takes here 1,550 hours, so, you know, 10 months more. And what are you going to do for eating in that time? Well, if you have your braid license, you can be working in a blow-dry bar or, you know, any of these types of things or even providing braid services in a salon or a cottage business, whatever you want to do, and you're legal. Um, wow. And, and okay. so it's an opportunity that when they get to it, I'm sure it's going to be closed up. Now, and and um, not to be negative or whatever, but I am very concerned, and I would hope anyone who's in the area that's listening will call the cosmetology board and actually ask or even demand uh, since 2006, when this law, as it is uh, standing for braiders, was in place, they have not inspected, to my knowledge, even one braid shop. And it's like, are the people who attend, who go to braid shops or who get services uh, from hair braiders, are they any less important than the rest of the general public? I've asked this question, and I get pretty unsatisfactory answers. But I'm one person, one voice, so if there are other people who have a concern about uh, this type of thing, then they should call the Minnesota Board of Cosmetology um, or go online and and put a a message or attend one of their meetings and ask that question because it just doesn't seem right. And the, the board is getting actually asking for money from the state for three more inspectors. Uh, not to not to look at the braid salons, but inspect what they've already been inspecting. But there are issues that mm-hmm. need to be addressed so that people can be safe. There, it really is. So, so if somebody, you know, if, if they take your course, then they they can be, um, I guess, licensed or uh, legal, if you will, in in your state. Um, does your does yours uh, that um, uh, licensure or um, does it cross over into other states? Like they move to Louisiana? The that, no, in the the way that um, Minnesota has it, it's not transferable. Okay. Meaning, uh, if you had uh, the New York uh, braider license, for example, like I did, the natural hair care specialist mm-hmm. license, it was no good here. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's something specific to the state. Now, there is reciprocity for maybe in another state. So, for example, if you're in, you said West Virginia? Uh, Louisiana. Louisiana, I'm sorry. If you're in Louisiana and I had this type of license and I went to Louisiana, would it matter? I'm not sure. I'd have to check each state. Check with the board. Check with the board. Okay. So tell us about the book, um, The World of Dreadlocks, Beyond Maturity. Thank you. Uh, the the Beyond Maturity was like my second level of uh, the world of dreadlocks. And I created it because uh, I get pretty much the same questions from people for years. And so I started documenting and, and that type of stuff, what hair was really doing. And I even actually developed something called, it's a dreadlock development wheel. So it talks about the stages of your lock development um, based on your texture, your density, and your length, which are the things that most affect the lock being trained to wrap around itself. And so it, it came from that, and then the beyond maturity deals with what happens when, you know, you've had something for a while. Uh, it's graying or it's thinning or the sizes are not the same, and, you know, these types of things. So it addresses mm-hmm. that. It also looks at history, again, a really comprehensive piece. 
and I'm proud of it because it has stood the test of time. This one was from 1999, and uh, aside from, you know, vendor names or, you know, products that are out there changing, it, it's solid. Uh, you can use it today. You could have used it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and it's very, very solid information that is, I mean, I could, it should be a, a school book. It really should. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, what, um, you mentioned the history of it. What, um, how can you say, what is the history of it? Well, as far as we know, uh, hum- humanity started in Africa. And so, and, you know, every few years they'll find a new discovery. It might be China, and then it goes back to Africa, long story short. So as far as we can trace, um, it locks have been around since the beginning of time. They have found them in the tombs, uh, and there's history written about uh, rites of passage for different age groups and different um rituals for burial mm-hmm. and that type of thing. So we lost a little piece when they stopped cutting the locks as part of or leaving the locks on as part of a ritual uh for uh, rites of passage to manhood and death. So uh it's a little fuzzy, but we'll just say it's as old as they're as old as mankind themselves. And they're okay. referred to quite often in the Bible. You know, so it's it's interesting. Modern day uh in the mid 70s they were a, a symbol of rebellion. Uh, on and on. And so right now they're embraced by all cultures, communities. They're figuring out that locks, our hair is meant to lock. It grows up, out, and down. That's the pattern. And so that's just wrapping around itself. And with our combing and that type of stuff, not a bad thing, but it's a, it's training your hair to do something other than originally intended. Okay. So how long did it take um, to write the book? How long did it take you to write it? Again, I would I would say physically sitting down, you know, mm-hmm. from the time I said, okay, I am going to write a book, until it was researched and complete, right around two years. But before that, I had been gathering information, um, just informally, you know, noting what what does this do and how long does this take, and and it was mainly because people kept asking me the same questions over and over and over. And I had sort of answers, and I researched a little bit, and there wasn't that much information that made sense out there. Mm-hmm. Um, more people were so stuck on the style that they weren't looking at what the hair is really doing. And so I give my my cosmetology training a little bit of extra credit for that. And I have uh, the advantage, again, of having people from all over the globe. And so asking, you know, somebody from Sierra Leone, what – you know, do they even wear them there, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and noticing the difference in their hair structure from, you know, Sally's hair structure, who's from Minnesota, you know, that type of stuff. So I just pieced it all together and um, ended up with the book. Okay. And so uh, when people, stylists or people who read your book, is there something that you want them to learn or get from the book? I would say the most important thing is to... Notice the similarities in hair. Hair doesn't care the the color. Hair doesn't care a lot of things, but we're programmed so much uh, just naturally to do certain things that, um, you know, it's just part of our reality. And embrace that reality. Don't shun it. Don't run away. (laughs) Just it's Mm -hmm. you know, things can be put in perspective. Hair, for example, one of I think one of my fun facts is that hair hair has a life cycle. People think that locks grow your hair. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just growing at its you know rate. Some people Mm -hmm. have a two year. Some people have a five year life cycle. So that their hair grows you know at that rate. Now you don't see your full length all the time, but when you're in a lock and the hair has no place else to go, right? It just Mm -hmm. keeps going and you see your life cycle we're so programmed internally that if you if your hair starts a life cycle today and you're a five-year growth cycle if they if something happened and you passed away and they dug up your body uh in three years you'd have little pieces of hair that were just starting that life cycle they will go until that life cycle ends and so we're that program so are our nails and so again guy had a plan 
who knew that he cared about hair, but then you think again, that's mentioned in the Bible too. Yeah. So yeah. he he's just deep. <laughs> anyway. yeah. So what what was the hardest thing about writing your book? Researching. I wanted to Research. make sure that everything I said or or presented was real. And there are so many, and now it's easier with the Internet and the explosion mm-hmm, of information that we have. So I even encourage people, get my book, look at the resources, you know, that I mention mm-hmm. and talk about, and I just challenge you. It's in there, and it's real. Uh, Frances Cress Welsing is in there. Uh, as far as information, she is phenomenal. There's just a wealth of information, little skinny book, all innocent but powerful. Okay. So since we are uh, talking, celebrating Women this Month, National Women's History Month, what's the importance of a woman being educated and trained for her profession? Education is just important, period. Um, you need to always just, how can I say, just grow, never stop learning. Uh, never stop growing, never stop doing stuff to help yourself because if you can find that balance between being helpful and self-sacrificing uh, and you can infuse that with all the knowledge that you've gained over you know, time, it, I mean, that's just power. And if you want to be a powerful woman, then you get some knowledge behind you and you'll be powerful. Okay. Um um, do you know of some issues that women may be challenged with as business owners? Yes, like I said, um, that finding that balance, uh, whether it's home life, family, this type of thing. Randall Pinkett, I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit I watched The Apprentice, but <laughs> there was a fellow named Randall Pinkett, and um, he even says that he was the black guy that won The Apprentice. But he says every entrepreneur needs a spouse with a steady income. And it's a cute saying, but really not everyone has that luxury so that you need to develop uh, multiple streams of income for yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. Steady income, whether it, you know, you're an employed entrepreneur for a while or um, whatever, but you need a residual income and you also mm-hmm. need a fluctuating income. Anything that you do that brings you money is, is nice, but if it's anything under $10,000, basically you should consider it a hobby. And and if you need more money than that, then you look to other things. So that's part of information. I went yeah. to an expo recently in, in the city, and I learned from uh, one of the speakers that out of all the many businesses that they have in the United States, I, I forget the number, but make billion businesses, only 8% of them are actually black-owned. And of those black-owned businesses, only 2% have employees. So, you, I mean, that to me was a powerful statement. And so in my little process here and transitioning mm-hmm. for my business, one mm-hmm. of the things I'm going to make sure to do, not just have renters, I mean, that's nice, but also have some actual employees because, again, that's power. And, yeah. um, and we just need to be aware of what, the situations really are, and not be caught up in our egotistical things, not be caught up in, um, you know, any type of anger, you know, because you don't really, anger um, strangles things. You you want to take your power and flower it and help things grow. And mm-hmm. you, you do need knowledge and you need to know what's really there. Uh, even having a uh, funding, that's mm-hmm. a big thing in business. And there's opportunity, financial networks, and, you know, this type of thing. But if you are offered money, for example, for your time, you have to look at is that mo- that amount of money really worth my time? Are you being offered dollars uh, for a plan that you made, but, you know, they're not meeting your full expectations, so they're underfunding you? If they underfund you for your plan, um, you just have a bill. So you have to look at things really realistically mm-hmm. and and not settle for right. anything less than your passion, your dream. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have your skills and, and everything in order so that you can back it up or that you're willing to grow to learn what uh, you, you might really need. But um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's just really important to plan, have financial. Um, right. 
You know, and I would I would say, you know, just to compliment a couple of things you said, I didn't see The Apprentice when the, the black guy won, but I would say just from dealing with people that anyone who is thinking about starting a business, um, uh, your spouse may have an income, but you got to be on one accord. You know, you can have a spouse that has an income who doesn't want to sow into your business, who doesn't want to pay why you launch out or step out. You got to be on one accord. There needs to be some really uh, coming together and understanding that, you know, hey, I'm getting ready to launch this business or I would like to launch this business. You have to talk about, talk over with your spouse if they're going to mind carrying the load for a minute, you know, until it grows. You know, it all depends on the mindset. You know, some women uh, don't want to uh, carry the load because their mindset says, well, no, you're the man. So you need to be the one paying all the bills that we've been taught. We haven't been taught some, in some cases to really come together with spouses and really rally around each other to actually make dreams come to manifestation. Absolutely. So you, yeah, you can have a spouse that has money, but he or she may say, forget that. That's your baby, you know. <laughs> And still right. want you to, 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 you know, where your portion is. Go into is. the family, right. Yeah, where's your portion? And they will not understand that. And then, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, people, when they quote the statistics, I wasn't at the event you were at, but I know the only way you can really know if a business is black-owned is if they register that way. So I think we may have a little bit more than that. But, I uh, hope we're not, so. Yeah, I think you know, when you think when you talk statistics, you're talking um about whatever population that they either um interview or they're going to where, you know, you know, have I registered my business as a black owned business or is it just a because you won't know my business is black owned unless I actually indicate that. Right. Uh, that is a good case in point. For yeah. our we had a statistic floating around for a thousand years that said that we have more young black males in prisons than in colleges. Mm -hmm. Well, recently we discovered that for some reason our black colleges were not reporting. Were they not asked? Did they not think about it? We don't know. But that was an incorrect statistic. So that is a very good point. Absolutely. You you know, and we have, um, uh, what is it, Um, that one, because I I was like, that doesn't sound right, you know. And I think we need to look at the source of it figure out who they talk to, you know, like you said, did you actually, you know, were they reporting? Were they even asked to report how many black men are, are in college, you know, because if you left that out, the other one, um, a little bit off that, you were talking about 50% of divorces, I mean, marriages in a divorce, well, that was erroneously reported. What they did was they interviewed, um, I think it was, uh, I forgot the number, but I know it was the five, so it was either 5,000 couples or 500,000 couples. Mm-hmm. And so out of the 500, or let's say 5,000, out of the 5,000 that they interviewed, those out of that 5,000 is where the two, the uh, 50% came in at. But when they gave you the statistics, they did not include the millions of couples that were married and were still together. They just gave you the, the wow. uh, yeah. So that would be a look, flawed report. Oh, my. A flawed report is, um, and uh they just they did a small survey of a certain group of married couples and out of that group, you know, when they went back I think it was newly married couples or something like that and when they went back is where they came up with those couples, fifty percent of those couples. But when they gave the overall picture they did not include the millions of couples that had been married for years that were still together. So because if you bring that number in, it changes drastically. I mean, it drops way, way down. Oh, you know, and mirrors. So we always just have to be aware. <laughs> yeah. Period. And, and, and because you it's can, a good you reminder. Can, yeah, really because you can listen to those statistics and your dreams go. You put them on the shelf because you'll automatically think you can't. You can't do this. Oh wow! Only two percent of black-owned businesses have employees. Oh, I'm not gonna. You know, to fight that battle. Or you <laughs> yeah. could you could be like me, a little perverse, and say, well, I'm gonna make sure I'm. <laughs> I'm yes, in that absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. So you have to really, and if you're not, if you're listening by radio or Internet and you're not real uh, keen on reading statistics and understanding them, when you start seeing them, find somebody who is. Because you don't want that statistic to get in the way of your success. You absolutely. know, you want to be able to say, oh, okay, 
you know, um, there was another one that's uh, that was out there there that said that 82. It started like this: 82 percent of of white teenagers are more uh, sexually active than black teenagers. It came back in the same statistic and said that black teenage girls are more like or get up um, or the, the of um, unwed pregnancies are higher than among whites. Well, automatically, that doesn't negative. make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. How could they be 82% more active but yet not get pregnant? Well, when you, you have to go to the very bottom of the statistics of the report, and it tells you that the white teenagers either had abortions or they um, were on birth control pills. Wow. But see, but when they present the information, they don't present it like that. They present it as if these, you know, oh but they, no, but they they had they they skew the results. Yeah, they. Skew, oh and no. I'm gonna I'm gonna tie that to hair mm-hmm. because there is a, a huge trend of uh, natural hair care. I'm okay with that. I've been natural probably since since I got here '94 or thereabouts. Long story, but. Uh, there is more than one product on the market. I'm not going to call any names, but there is more than one product on the market that they have the before hair where it's pretty tight or coiled or just mm. not combed for the day. And then the next picture, it's nice ringlets or, um, you know, silky or whatever level of, of manageable mm. hair, right? Mm-hmm. And they're saying that it's their product that's doing this magical transformation. Mm-hmm. Well, I encourage people to read, do the question and answer, read the question and answers, all that, because in one super huge one, uh, I, because I, I had used this product before, and I said, oh, I'll get those results. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. And long story short, they are putting uh, sodium hydroxide, which is the traditional yeah. relaxer, relaxer. Mm-hmm. in the silkening treatments. Okay, so people mm-hmm. need to be aware, and 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 not just be so happy that they have this particular thing without knowing what they're putting on their hair or their baby's hair. If you want to be mm-hmm. natural, fine, be natural, but know that such and such as such as product is not doing, it's not right. really what it's pretending to be. Yeah. And, um, and, and we just have to be very careful of that. It's not a new thing that that happens. But especially with people, you know, growing out their hair for years to get it to whatever natural state Mm -hmm. and then having it bastardized by a product that is deceptive. Right. You know, and and there's one, probably a large, huge one, as you say, you know, that I tried because my hair is natural. And so I tried it and I was like, I'm getting that. You know, so like, what is that? If you have that hair already, okay, you, you're you're going to get that result. But that's right. Mm-hmm. One of them, and more than one of them, use like usually they say silkening or something like that. But mm-hmm. but read those question and answers, and when they give strange answers like, oh, this is only to be used in a professional salon, or, uh, well, we can't guarantee those results at home, or th- that type of stuff. You want to read a little bit more, and then find those ingredients. And they are clever about covering up what sodium hydroxide is. There's sodium, lithium, yes. and calcium hydroxide. Mm-hmm. There's uh, you know, just lots of things. But if it if it sounds like something you probably have seen before, it probably is. So yeah, I can remember years ago when I was doing it. The big thing was the S curl, and people were buying that product and didn't realize that that was a form of of relaxer. You know, they actually thought, you know, they you know they until somebody left it in there too long. You know, it's right? Called. It's like that is just not pretty. Um, yeah, yeah there, it's a different chemical too. At, at, I I could go on all day about wonderful product uh, snafus, but um, someone decided, uh, because remember, you have to grow out your relaxer if you want a curly perm. Those are two different chemicals, sodium hydroxide, basically, and thioglycolate. Now, those two chemicals, when they're put on your head, fight, and you get baldness. Someone put it, someone got really clever, and they created Nair. Go look at a Nair label, sodium hydroxide and and, uh, thioglycolate. Removes hair from the skin. People like yeah. that. <laughs> so, I mean, I could go on forever. I just love that stuff. But um, uh, when you're doing it by design, it's one thing. When you're doing it to trick the consumer, that's a whole nother. So, you know, consumer beware. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and my sister grew her hair out natural. 
she makes uh, natural hair care products. And um, when you, I mean, and she tells you, when you follow it, if you do it, I mean, it makes your hair beautiful. But she tells you what to do and she tells you when to expect it, what it's going to do, the whole nine yards. You know, and it. Uh, and I was comparing hers to, as you say, some of the major ones on the line, on the on the market. And I was like, I'm still not, you know, I get one effect with hers. And then when I tried this one over here, it's like, I'm not getting this. You know, a lot so, of times when by by time something goes to market, uh, Grandma's great cookie recipe, great mm-hmm. in the in in uh, the kitchen. But mm-hmm. when you make a batch of five hundred thousand, your ingredients right. and all of that has to be reformulated. And so, uh, same thing with these other products. They were probably okay. sincere in the beginning, and mm-hmm. because it had to go to market and it had to have a certain amount of shelf life, and you know some effort. all that stuff, everything a little bit yeah, tight. It, yeah, it changes. Okay. But um, you can start pure, um, and you can advertise pure if it's still pure. But if it's not and you're just lying to the consumer, then that's not a nice thing. Um, right. And, and align with that, in my book, I'm gonna. I, there's a little part that touches on some of the common, uh, you know, elements or, or uh, things that are you see in products uh, and what they do. You know, okay. like everybody wants vitamin E, but what does it really do? So, you know, there's a little... Uh, piece of the book that addresses some of those things that are real common and okay. uh, and I think that's helpful. Okay, so we have um, just a few minutes left. Is there uh, anything in particular that you there may be some stylists or some barbers or someone in the esthetician or just in the beauty industry, hair industry uh, as a whole, uh, is there anything that you want to say to them um, as a pro- from, from you as a professional to speak into their lives uh, before we go? I, I would say, again, always keep learning. Go to professional webinars. Get professional memberships. Go to community events and learn what's going on in your world. Uh, keep growing. Uh, we're adding artwork from a local artisan named Mitchell Howard to our offerings here. Keep doing stuff uh, for your community. Uh, for this, this radio show, I think, is an outreach even. Um, just keep doing things and growing and, and embrace all the opportunities that are there, you know, you don't have to settle for the obvious and and just grow. And it's a good Absolutely. And I'm going to compliment that by saying if you have an uncommon dream, it will require an uncommon faith. So if you believe in God to be a salon owner, to be a stylist, to be a braider, um, to be a barber, anything in the beauty industry or the hair industry, you know, don't um, hinder yourself. Think big, grow, increase your knowledge, sharpen and de- develop and sharpen your skills, you know, automate book, you know. Um, and listen, sometimes it's even uh, worth it uh, to pack up and travel. How long is your Power Step class? How long is your class? The Power Step is 30 hours, and that's why, I've, again, I've made it available where they can go mm-hmm. online. Well, online is coming in the next couple of months. Okay. Um, but there's, I made it so they can do a home study, mm-hmm. and so absolutely, even just call me if you need to brainstorm. Okay. Uh, I, I like that type of thing, and I will make time for you. Uh, I think you need a um, intensive weekend. <laughs> that would be lovely. And power yeah, step, I, I have put it, it into. Yep, power step. There's, uh, there is actually something called intensity for mm-hmm. power step because people are busy, and we squeeze it into two days. And mm-hmm. it's still a very nice course, uh, and c- not pricey, but right. it does you cost. Know. Yeah. yeah, it does cost. You're gonna have to pay. You know, uh, I'm uh, jokingly one of my friends. You know, tell me you're gonna have to pay for some of this information you want, Ginger. So you know, you will have to pay. And I think if you are serious about your destiny, your purpose, serious about your business, serious about, as you say, getting started, maybe want to be a braider or whatever the case may be, make the investment. If you know, if um. If they would have had this option, it's possible it was there when I did cosmetology school back in uh, the the 80s. I probably would have opted out to do the break, you know, because it would have been not as much time and cheaper. Yep, and you can feed yourself. Uh, Yeah, you can. Because even after cosmetology school, that 10 months uh, in Minnesota, you have to work another 2,000 and something hours to get a manager's license so that you can work on your own. So all that time, if you don't have some kind of other income, mm-hmm. you need to feed yourself, and this allows you to feed yourself. This yeah. is one of many ways. But and and, and you can 
you know, start your own destiny, your own right. career path that way. But I haven't checked the, the the latest requirements here. I know when I did it, um, you could once you got your license, that license you can hang that shingle right up. <laughs> you right. know. Yeah, you know, you don't have to study under anybody. You, it was wise to go study, you know, being somewhere where somebody would watch you and train you, but it wasn't required. You got, as soon as you pass the board and uh, and however long it took them to mail you the license, that's it. You could, there you go. And, and there are yeah. a lot of states like that. And um, cosmetology is really fighting all kinds of deregulation right now. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll see how what, what unfolds with that. Recently, yeah. I... Um, spoke to the Minnesota legislature and house because I encourage continuing education where, you know, just a little refresher courses, you know, yeah. so you can know what's up. If you've got a license 35 years ago, there's some different things maybe. Different, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so and instead of people just getting uh, fined, 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 it's like, well, maybe you should tell them what they could be doing so they don't get a fine. And so I that's why I supported that. Okay. So how can the listening audience get uh, connected with you? Okay. Um, easiest way is to um, visit the website, which is www.chevaumn.com, and I'll spell that. It's C-H-E-V-E-U-X-M-N.com, like Minnesota. Uh, you can schedule online or just kind of take a peek at what I'm doing right now. Uh, otherwise, call me direct. It's great. Uh, 952 888-1297 is our main line. And, uh, you know, that those are that's plenty of places to start. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Go to, if you're visiting the Minnesota State Board Cosmetology website, look under hair braiding providers. I'm there, too. So. Okay. Wonderful. Well, we want to, I, I really want to thank you for uh, coming on the show today. It's very exciting to hear you talk. And to hear about what you're doing and, you know, um, to hear about uh, all the possibilities. You know, some people sometimes they want, they love doing hair, they love hair, and they just don't know where to start. And so next time I run across somebody, I'm going to say, check the board and see if there's a braiding uh, license or something you can do uh, for that. And, you know, some people actually do, do the, they start off with the braiding in their home. They braid people's hair. Absolutely. You know. And so I'm going to tell them, you know, if you're going to do that, I'm going to encourage you to take it up a notch and make sure you uh, perfect your skills, learn things that you need to learn, especially about the sanitation part of it, as as I was reading on your site. You know, so uh, I want to thank you for joining me on today. I'm going to post the replay on uh, Facebook, and I'll send uh, you the link to the replay where you can download it, and you might want to share it with some of uh, people on your email list or some or that you know. So thank you once again, um, and I pray God's blessings upon everything that you're doing and that you will do um, in the fear abuses. Amen. And so we're going to uh, close in prayer, and um, and let's stay connected. You know, um, how did you hear about? Are you on Facebook? Is that how you I, heard? I am. I think one of my friends actually. Okay. Your information to me, and it's like I just followed up. That's what you do. Okay. Follow up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And we we should learn to do that for one another. If I run across something and I know it'll be beneficial to somebody who I know maybe she's in business or whatever, you know, we have to compliment each other. And I say that say that almost on every show. Stop being so competitive and be and comp, and be more compliment complimenting to one another and we can be a part of each other's success. And uh, and that's very rewarding when you can see you had a hand in someone else's success. So once again Let's let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you on this morning. We bless your name, O oh God, and we just honor you on this morning. And I lift up Mary to you and all of her business ventures, uh, with the board, the cosmetology board, everything that she's doing, Father, to actually impact her profession as well as her community. I thank you that doors will open for her, that no man will close. I thank you that ears who have an ear to hear her teachings, to be uh, mentored by her, Father, would actually yield themselves to hear what she's saying, but not just be hearers of what she's saying and teaching, but actually would begin to practice what she's teaching them. I think that all of her employees, Father God, are uh, excited about working for her and that each one of them will receive an impartation into their own lives and professions as she um, 
not only um, uh, employs them, but as she mentors and guides and directs them. Thank you for this uh, blessed moment of connection, Lord God, and we pray that we stay connected, especially as sisters in Christ. We bless your name, we honor you, and we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you once again. Uh, do you have any closing remarks? I just appreciate you. You are a blessing to the community. Thank you. Oh, God bless you. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody that's listening by phone and those who are listening by internet. God bless you. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.